All right, so let's get this started. Um, let's begin with, in, um, I will tell you that this is the single most significant event in all of the scriptures other than, of course, creation. Uh, so I, I've been praying all week to, that I would come even close to doing a little justice to it. And, um, if I fall short, please uh, forgive me. Uh, yeah, so we will begin by, uh, we are today in uh, Mark 15. We're going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. And that will set us up for the teaching today. Uh, okay, so it begins like this. As soon as it was morning, the head priest held a council meeting with the elders, the Torah teachers, and the whole Sanhedrin. Then they put Yeshua in chains, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate put, his, put this question on him. Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him. The words are yours. The head Kohanim too made accusations against him. And Pilate again inquired of him, Aren't you going to answer? Look, how many charges they are making against you? But Yeshua made no further response to, Pilate, to Pilate's amazement. Now during, during a festival, Pilate used to set free one prisoner, whomever the crowd requested. There was imprisoned among the rebels who had committed murder, murder during the insurrection, a man called Baraba. When the crowd came up and began asking Pilate to do for them what, they, what he usually did, he asked them, do you want me to set free for you the king of the Jews? For it was evident to him that it was of, out of jealousy that the head Kohanim had handed him over. But the head Kohanim stirred up the crowd to have him release Yeshua bar Abba, uh, son of the father, for, for them instead. Pilate again said to them, uh, then what should I do with the men you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, put him to death on the stake. Uh, for some of you trying to make on the cross. Uh, he asked, why? What crime has he committed? But they only shouted louder. Put him to death on the stake. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the mob, set Baraba free for them. But he had uh, Yeshua whipped. Then he handed him over to be executed on the stake. The soldiers led him away inside the inside the palace, that is the headquarters, the headquarters building, and called together the whole battalion. They dressed him up in purple, in wolf thorn, in wolf thorn branches with it, into a crown, which they put on him. Then they began to salute him. Hail to the king of the Jews. They hit him on the head with a stick, spat on him, and knelt and mocked uh, they in mock worship of him. When they had finished ridiculing him, they took off the purple robe, put his own clothes back on him, and led him away to be nailed to the, to the execution stake. A certain man from Cyrene, Shimon, the father of, of Alexander and Rufus, 
was passing by on his way in, um, in from the country, and they forced him to carry the stake. They brought Yeshua to the place called uh, Golgotha, which means place of skull. And they gave, gave him wine spiced with myrrh, but he didn't take it. Then they nailed him to the execution stake, and they divided his clothes among the, amongst themselves, throwing dice to determine what each man should get. It was nine in the morning when they nailed him to the stake. Over his head, the written notice of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. On, on the execution stakes with him, they placed two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. People passing by hurtled insults at him, uh, shaking their head and saying, aha, so you can destroy the temple, can you? And rebuild it in three days? Save yourself and come down from the state. Likewise, the head Kohenim and the Torah teachers made fun of him, saying to each other, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And so, and so he is Messiah, is he? The king of Israel? Let him come down from, come down now from the state. If we see that, then we will believe him. Even the men nailed up with him insulted him. At noon, darkness covered the whole land until three o'clock in the afternoon. At three, he uttered a loud cry. Elohi, Elohi, lema shabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? On hearing this, some of the bystanders said, look, he's calling for Elijah. One ran and soaked the sponge, the sponge with vinegar, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. Wait, he said, let's see if Elijah will come and take him down. But Yeshua let out a cry and gave up his spirit. And the power of head in the temple covered was torn in two from top to bottom. Then the Roman officer who stood, who stood facing saw that the way he gave up his spirit, he said, this man really was a son of God. There, there were women looking, looking on from a distance. Among, among them were Miriam from Magdala, Miriam the mother of the younger Yaakov and Yossi, and Shulamit. These women had followed him and helped him when he was in the Galil, and many other women were there who had come with him from Jerusalem. Since it was preparation day, that is the day before the, shop, the, the Sabbath, and as evening approached, Yosef of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin who himself was also looking forward to the kingdom of God, he boldly he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Yeshua's body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. So he summoned the officer and asked him if he was, he had been dead for a while. After he had gotten confirmation from the officer that Yeshua was dead, he granted Joseph the corpse. 
Yosef purchased, purchased a linen sheet, and after taking Yeshua down, he wrapped him in, in the linen sheet, laid him in a tomb which had, had been cut out of, out of a rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Miriam of Magdala and Miriam, the mother of Yossi, saw where he had been laid. Um, so, uh, this single act, probably the most powerful statement of love the, the world has ever seen, is being played out here. Things have been set in motion from this point. If you look at um, the promise which was made in Jeremiah, it is now being fulfilled. It started to, to take part in, as you see all of this happening, the people there, you see, because prophecy was being fulfilled, some people were devastated Many for different reasons, right? Some people believe truly that he was the Messiah. Some other people thought that he was a conqueror that was supposed to set them free from the Romans. And some other people just did not care. Some people were just looking at him as just another person that was there as a very dangerous person to take them away from the place that they had so hard work to be in their all their all their, their credibility was about to go away because this man just stepped into the picture. Um, but now, I, I ask you, where, where would you be in that crowd? Which, which part would you be playing in this, in this story? Um, there, there's a very interesting story of, it, it, I'm sure many of you have heard it already, but it's the, the robbers on the cross, right? I mean, very, very famous. Many use it for the wrong purpose, unfortunately. But uh, as, we, as we sit here and, and we see, uh, just put yourself in that man's place. You start insulting the Messiah. You start, you start just accusing him and ridiculing him. And all of a sudden, something happens. Something that is, has not been explained, right? So, as you are there, growing up in this culture, maybe, just maybe, you remember something that was told by your parents, or your parents' parents, a song maybe that you heard, and now everything starts becoming clear to you. So you stop with this ridiculing, and. Now you start thinking about it. You're like, okay, maybe this is the Son of Man right next to me. Um, so, so as he was there, he st uh, something changed within him, right? So he went from insulting the Messiah to now saying, okay, what we are getting, yeah, we deserve, but this, this man here has done nothing. He is innocent. Uh, so now he's rebuking the other guy on the other side of him, right? Um, and that's, um, 
I am sure as the events are unfolding, he's, he's starting to, uh, to realize exactly what is happening. Because this, oddly enough, was already written as, and they, they should have, or they would have known about it. Um, let's, uh, let's go to Psalm 22. begins like this my God my God why have you abandoned me why so far from helping me so far from my anguish cries my God by day I call to you but you do not answer likewise at night but I get no relief nevertheless you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel in you our ancestors put their trust they trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and escaped. They entrusted in you and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me jeer at me, they sneer and shake their heads. He committed himself, he committed himself to Adonai, so let him rescue him. Let him set him free, if he takes such delight in him. But you are the one who took me from the womb. You made me trust when I was on my mother's breast. Since my birth, I, I have been thrown on you. You are my God from my mother's womb. Don't stay far from me, for trouble is near. And there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Wild bulls of Bashan close in on me. They open their mouths wide against me. Like ravening, roaring lions, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has become like wax. It melts inside me. My mouth is as dry as fragments of a pot. My tongue sticks to my palate. You lay me down in the dust of death. Dogs are all around me. A pack of villains closes in on me. They pierce my hands and feet. I can count every one of my bones. They, while they graze at me and gloat, they divide my garments among them. My clothing, they, for my clothing they throw dyes. But you, Adonai, don't stay far. My strength, come quickly to my help. Take into account, this psalm was written about a thousand years before the crucifixion. This, this revelation of prophecy was given to the psalmist and they put it in writing about a thousand, a thousand years before the Mark that we just read and the event that happened that uh, was recorded there. So it was uh, it was again 
I mean, everything, this is one whole book, right? It, it, God has plans to, um, in place way before you are even born already. If it is his will for you to carry out his message, he will already have put things in place way before your parents' parents were born. And that's just how it happens, right? Like uh, when, when Moses flees to, the, to Midian, he had already sent people there, descendants of Abraham, over there to settle Midian so that he could have a place to, to go and seek refuge hundreds of years before he was even born. That's how it all happens. Um, but here, as we're looking at Psalm 22, something just stuck out, right? The word worm. I was, I was looking at it, and, and some of you may be familiar with this with this passage and then this little insight, right? Uh, in in Jewish hermeneutics, they they call this uh, little little tiny treasures within the scripture, right? Uh, this is what Gabe does whenever he's teaching here, and he says, hey, "Okay, let's go back to the very first time that this occurs in in the Torah," and then he goes all the way back, and then from there he starts. He starts figuring out exactly how they used it and what it means, and it gives so much fuller meaning, right, to the to to the passage that you're reading. Well, the same thing happens here. Uh, usually, uh, throughout the scripture, you will see that that the uh, the the word that is actually in Hebrew is rima, which means maggot, right? Kind of like in um, like in Job, right? When when he's uh, he's talking about man, he calls him a maggot, right? Because of our decayed state, because of the state that we that we are in. So he's uh, so he actually uh, that would be the, the the one the one definition you would expect to see there. But as you go look in the uh, in the actual writing, the word is not that. The word is tola, right? Which tola really. It's a very special kind of uh, worm. It's a, it's a, it's actually a. You would look at it, you would think it's a grub, really, not a, not a worm. But it looks like that. And uh, this is a uh, an excerpt from Exodus, actually Exodus 16, uh, when when Moses is telling them, hey. Go collect some uh, manna for you according to your appetite, but do not keep it overnight, right? Don't keep it until morning. Okay. And what do the people do? They do. They keep it. So God says, okay, didn't I tell you guys not to keep it? So he sends uh, the Tola. Uh, all right, all you Hebrew students, can you, can you find it? No? Can you even see it? Tola. It's too small. Ah, right there. Was tola, tola lean. So, worms, right? Or the crimson worm, as it, as it is called. Uh, yeah, the tola, tola shini, as uh, as they call it. Very, uh, very interesting little creature. It does uh, because of because of how God or how Yeshua, much like God, hanging on the same cross, right? How Yeshua was saying, "My God, My God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me?" As many translations say, 
he is re uh, referring to Psalm 22. And there you find this word. So you know that as he's calling himself a worm, he's, he's actually calling, I am but a tola'at. Uh, very, uh, very interesting life of the the worm, right? Uh, it's coming to the Middle East and nowhere else. Uh, it has a very short life cycle, but whenever it does, the parallels that you see there uh, are amazing. The the tola shanin, little tiny tiny thing about the size of a pea, right? It, it uh, when it senses that it's about to die, it climbs up this very specific oak tree. And as it climbs, much, much like our Messiah, right? As, it, as he climbed willingly, climbs up knowing that he will not come back alive. That's, that's it, it senses the end of its, its life, climbs up a tree, attaches himself to the bark, starts scratching, and um, as it scratches, gets the sap out of the tree, it starts building himself a little wax uh, covering around him because his body is very, the, the body of the Tola'at is very soft. So he starts, uh, he starts building himself this little cocoon uh, shell of wax so that his offspring will live inside of there and they will be protected under his body or her body, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, from there, it um, as it lays lays its, its eggs under it under its body, starts spilling this this red crimson dye from from its body, and it covers the eggs with this crimson dye. The eggs will be covered on this blood-like substance, and uh, they will be forever dyed from that, with that blood. Uh, it, it, so this, this uh, substance, not only does it, uh, with the shell it provides covering, with the substance it provides uh, a place for them to, to live until they hatch. When they hatch, because they are covered in, in, in this, in this um, cocoon, they, they have no other thing but that if that is um, th that that is what they what the little eggs eat for the first 24 hours that they're alive. Yeah, so they consume that. Not only that, but they consume the body of the the tola'at, and they eat their way out out of the tola'at. Uh, once, uh, so very interesting how. You start looking at all the parallels, right? And you start reading in uh, places like Ephesians 1, 3, when he says, when you believed you were barked in with him with a seal. Uh, it does, uh, so So the, the Tola'ah does the same thing, right? With the little wax seal, it seals them up over there to cover from anything so that nothing will snatch them away from, from the mother. Um, and same thing that uh, that Yeshua tells us, right? Nothing will, you know, once you're under the covering, his covering, nothing will snatch you away from me. Um, the um, the whole process, what do you guys, uh, how long do you guys think it takes? 
Three days. Absolutely right. Yes. Well, so the life is very, very short, right? If you guys look at this, uh, at this right here, that's one of the things that makes this this worm very special, right? That little tiny thing, right? So you must interrupt if you want to harvest this this worm. You must interrupt the the life cycle, and you will peel it off of the tree. And in there, there's that little very crimson dye that they used to use for the uh, for the tabernacle for the garment priests and uh, for a bunch of other things. Uh, but now the uh, the actual temple institute is actually for the first time in about a thousand years they're starting to harvest these tola'at again in their um, they're trying to as a, as a means to re, um, recreate the, uh, the garments for the, the priestly garments they're starting to try to create this dye again it takes about 76,000 of them to make about a pound of dye so yeah so they have to go over there and just pick out these little tiny creatures of the, the trees and that's what they used back in those days, right? Um, extremely uh, amazing. But uh, so because of the the blood of this insect, the offspring lives. Uh, not only that, but so here's yet another amazing parallel. Um, when it dies three days later, the whole outside shell turns into a, a snow white um, Right there. Wow. So it turns as white as snow, and it's, it starts flaking off, and it actually, they say it looks like it's snowing outside whenever you see all these little tiny worms dying and all the, the outer layers peeling and, and just being blown off by the wind. Yeah, so it, it uh, there it is on, with the outer, the outer shell, the outer protective shell. Not only that, but once it's been there and it dies, the tree will be for for a long time dyed with, with that red dye. It, so you can tell exactly where it, the the tola has been. Uh, it's um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean that that's uh, one of those one of those passages like in in John, right, where it says, "I say to you, unless you eat the flesh." of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now, now I'm not uh, considering cannibalism here, you know, but but the, the metaphor, you know, I mean, the, 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 the symbolic meaning behind this in, in the Messiah is just amazing. I mean, many, many people have studied this and they, in amazement at how, uh, how great the, the parallels are between this little tiny creature that God uses for different purposes, as in um, the, the time in the wilderness. And it keeps on using it over and over. Uh, but So I do think uh, I do think that, that this is uh, what Yeshua was referring to. I mean, just like look at all the all the parallels, right? When he says, "I am but a worm," I, he has to be talking about this. No, no other way. And many many scholars um, 
believe the same. Man. They believe that is exactly what he was talking about. Uh, because of the blood of this little tiny creature, the offspring lives. They, they have life. Um, because of the, the covenant was, that was made. And it, there, there has to be blood for atonement. Um, yeah, that's uh, one of those things that I, I will leave you with that and tell you that uh, there's a, a verse in, in Isaiah that says, uh, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, tola, they shall be white as snow. Isaiah 118. Uh, yeah, so if when you go home tonight, if you still have not embodied this, what we are discussing here today, what, what happened, the, the amazing gift of salvation that was given to us, I ask you to please pray and ask for that, uh, for God to come to you and Amen. deliver you. Um, that is my teaching. Do I have any questions? No? Very small. Yeah. And oh, the yeah. mother has to die for yeah. the offspring to feed. If the mother doesn't die, then the offspring, there's no offspring. That's right. Willingly gives up its life so that it's, their young can actually live. All right. So let's pray real quick and then we'll go to questions. Our Father and King, thank you so much for giving us your Shabbat. Thank, thank you for giving us your son who willingly gave up his life for us to live so that we may not die but have everlasting life. I thank you so much for all the wonderful things that you do for, for us even though we are undeserving. We thank you for such greatness patience and kindness that you show us even though we are undeserving uh, may we be worthy of your kingdom thank you for everything you have done for us in your son Yeshua our Messiah Amen, Amen. questions <coughs> yes ma'am Absolutely, yeah, they, they, they would have heard that and understood that he was quoting Psalm 22. And it was not a question. It would have been more of a statement, probably. And that's, that's one of the things that, um, yeah, you, you, uh, much like in our Torah portions, right? We usually name them by the, the very first, the very first part of the, uh, by the very first part of the, uh, uh, by the beginning word of, of the chapter, right? And that's how we start our Torah portions, much like Psalm 22, right? That's what Yeshua was saying. By quoting that, he was quoting the whole, all of Psalm 22. Yeah, that's right. He quoted a lot of Psalm. Yes. 
carrying on on that same thought. He has taken you so much to explain about the Tolaat. And uh, we, it just so happens that we're so far removed from the original language. For example, if I were to say here in the U.S., and the wolf blew and blew and blew and the straw house came down, you know what story, uh, where in the story, what was before and what comes uh, next. When Yeshua says, my God, my God, they know exactly what song, exactly. what comes next, and they can see it played out right in front of their eyes, how that prophecy is being fulfilled. So because we are so far removed from all this language, on this side of the planet, we don't understand when it gets translated to us. But in the original context, every single one of those persons will realize that right. this one man being sacrificed as a, as a, a for atonement of humanity uh, is fulfilling all these prophecies that were said in the scriptures before. And all these words are just for us to try to bring our minds into, uh, into sync with what the original scriptures said. Thank you for that. Yes, ma'am. Yes. I think that's something we all need to learn. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. It's so interesting to uh, some of the things that are said while he's on the cross when they say, You who would destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And, you know, they're, they're mocking the statement he had made. It was so, just so ironic because he was doing what he was, you know, referring to. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they misunderstood what he was saying. Right. Yeah. Doing just that, doing yeah. Just that. Absolutely. Going to be back, you know, yeah. Every day, and then following God, um, they said he saves others and cannot save himself, and by not saving himself, he saves the whole world. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. Then, um, they say, um, Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross, and we, and we may see and believe, and it's just there's so much iron impacting all yeah. that mockery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's yep. the essence of when he said, Father, forgive them, because they don't, 
Yeah, they don't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. So, they, yeah, they will not. Uh, I, I'll get to you in a moment. Yeah, uh, there was someone. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, Psalm 22, like you said, was written about a thousand years before this took place. And also, crucifixion was only known at that time with the Romans, yet it's a very graphic depiction of crucifixion in this psalm, which mm -hmm. would not have been known by them a thousand years ago. That's right, yeah. Um, and lastly, God gives us and gave the people signs, a sign, sign. <coughs> Who put the sign up saying Yeshua, King of the Jews? No, Pilate. The Pilate mm -hmm. himself, the one, the, the non-believer, the one that didn't listen to any of his wife or anybody else's teachings about who this was. Yet God used him to put yeah. a sign for everyone to see. Well, he kind of listened to his wife, I guess. Kind of. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah. When his wife comes to him and says, "Okay." Have nothing to do with this, you know. Yeah. Uh, he, so he's pretty much pu pushing it to their court. I mean, he had the power to stop it. He did not, but but he's like, I, I wash my hands of this. I, I this is not, you know, it's it's but it's that on did you. Not exonerate yeah. him no, but that's what he was trying to do. He's trying to say, okay, it's your doing, not mine. Well, yeah, um, so so there, yeah, um, there not to get into, yeah, like all the, all those uh, doc, uh, documents and researches and stuff, you know, but there was actually, there's actually um, documentation out there that there was a crossbeam, you know, around those those times, you know, right. so um, even the, the complete Jewish Bible says, okay, the reason why we call it a tree is because at the very beginning, if you look at, uh, read all the stuff that nobody reads, it says there, Okay, the reason why we call it a tree is just because it may, a cross may be, you know, may resent, maybe uh, inside some resentment and stuff. I mean, it just, yeah. figuratively, the expression that yeah. we, that yeah. we, or that was said, you know, yeah. like he was hung on the tree. I go, well, that one metaphor referring to the, yeah. Oh, to the yeah. Wow, that, there's even another parallel, yeah. yeah. It, 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 that's, that's um, yeah, I mean, all, the, all of that is, I mean, it's one book from beginning to end, you know, so, from the very beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you will you will find the Messiah all interwoven in, in, in those pages. So it's not it doesn't stop and then it continues, you know, to something else. It's all one whole story. Um, but yeah, amazing. Anyone? Okay. So say that. Ready? So bless you over the wine.